Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. We have a chance to ride out this Omicron wave without shutting down our country once again. You have sat there too long for all the good you have done. In the name of God, go. We need to recognize that Russia is now calling the shots here. Mad in their sleaze with a divided party. A prime minister losing the support of his backbenchers and governing shambolically. Hello, you're listening to Bloomberg Westminster, your daily guide to British politics. I'm Caroline Hepke. Good afternoon, I'm Ewan Potts. Well, Prince Andrew's disgrace looks complete. Having said he would defend himself in court, Andrew has reached a private settlement in the sexual assault case brought against him by Virginia Dufre in the US. The Telegraph reports the Queen will help meet the costs of the settlement, uh, estimated to be £12 million. Having criticised Dufresne over the claims, a joint statement from both parties was decidedly more conciliatory. Prince Andrew expressing regret for his association with sex offender Jeffrey Epstein and commending the bravery of Ms Dufresne. Meanwhile, the cost of living crisis is only likely to worsen. UK inflation accelerated in January for a fourth month in a row, hitting a 30-year high of 5.5%. The Bank of England predicts that inflation will actually peak at around 7.25% in April. The RAC told me this morning that record high petrol prices at the pump should be monitored by the government. I think we need, other than the RIC, who's closely watching the prices, there doesn't seem to be anyone at kind of government level doing that. Grant Shapps, the Transport Secretary, urged retailers to reflect the wholesale price fairly when he was pushed in an interview. Um, other than that, uh, there's very little that's been done. It's been mentioned in Parliament, there's, um, but um, no action. I think you know, perhaps we do need okay. some additional um, means of monitoring fuel prices. Otherwise, there's a lot of people who are going to be affected by this financially with household income tightening. Well, that was Simon Williams from the RAC. Now, Labour leader Keir Starmer told The Guardian this morning that it's reasonable for workers to demand higher wages given that rising cost of living. It comes after he said that a Labour government would back business to buy, make and sell in Britain. Well, let's discuss this and the day's issues with Siobhan McDonough, Labour MP for Mitcham and Morden in South London. Siobhan, thanks so much for joining us on Bloomberg Westminster. Now, there is a cost of livings crisis. I think it's fair to say inflation at 5.5%, the prices of all sorts of things rising very rapidly. Now, Labour's calling for a reversing of global production and to be bringing things, uh, bringing manufacturing back to the UK. Surely that would make even more things more expensive. Um, Well, it's the future, isn't it? I mean, we're only going to cope in the long term by expanding our economy. And what we know is we have great ideas in this country, but when we want to put them into action, we go somewhere else. But returning to the manufacturing base of the past in Britain for all things um, would be a reversal of kind of globalisation. It would be massively inflationary. So it, it sounds patriotic, but it doesn't make much economic sense. 
Well, I mean, it has to make economic sense in the longer term, doesn't it? In order to make more goods here and produce more markets, um, because, you know, we're not going to transform manufacturing overnight. We're talking about quite a period to do that when hopefully um, Mm -hmm. the kind of current um, inflation uh, will, uh, you know, will be reduced or get back to where we used to be. Okay, Britain is largely a services economy. Yes, but it we're is. still uh, focused on on the, on growing manufacturing. Then, well, uh, I mean, it's not a question of either or, is it? It's both. We need to expand our economy. We know from the uh, coronavirus pandemic how important it is to have a manufacturing facility. We've seen how brilliant our scientists are in coming up with the vaccinations but we couldn't produce them quickly enough or we missed out on important supplies um, uh, to, to, to be doing that work. So it's not a question of either or. It's about doing both, isn't it? Because if we're really serious about uh, making other parts of the country thrive, um, the future has to be in manufacturing. Labour says the government needs to get a grip on inflation, but but how exactly? Prices are rising right across the world. Inflation is at 7.5% in America. Uh, are you really trying to pin the blame on the Tories for rising prices? Um, well, we do have a problem, don't we? We have a, a huge productivity problem. Um, we have no growth. Um, we saw under David Cameron's Conservative government from 2010 um, that the desire to strip uh, public spending um, and to uh, reduce the size of our economy has just uh, caused greater problems. You know, this is the point at which the government needs to step up. OK, um, I believe last quarter we were the fastest growing economy uh, in the G7 in terms of the rebound. But um, let's talk a little bit also um, about Hong Kong. I noticed that you're the vice chair of the all-party parliamentary group on Hong Kong. What's your take on the COVID situation there? Local media say that more than 4,000 confirmed COVID cases have been reported just today. Um, the COVID zero policy um how do you feel? Do you think it's been disastrous for Hong Kong? Should they change course? Um, well, um, I, I read in the Times this morning about the situation uh, with coronavirus in Hong Kong. Um, I wasn't aware of just how bad it is, um, but it um, seems extraordinary for such a, a small place not to be able to get a grip on it. And just um, turning to Labour, the Labour leadership, do you think that Keir Starmer in his time... Uh, leading the party has has made enough impression. I appreciate, you know, COVID has been a difficult time to be an opposition leader, but it's taken it's taken a, weeks and weeks of disastrous headlines about uh, Downing Street for Labour to finally move into ahead, ahead in the polls. It's been very slow, hasn't it? Well, we've come from a very bad place. In uh, December 2019, we had uh, the worst result we've ever had since 1935. We offered the British public Jeremy Corbyn as Prime Minister, and they told us how they felt about that. And so it is a long way to walk back. Uh, and so I think that um, Keir Starmer is making good progress and needs to make more. But, you know, that is a mountain to climb, and you have to start it at some point, and he's done that. OK. You're, you're also a London um, MP, Siobhan. Um, were you sorry to see the resignation of Commissioner Cressida Dick, the Met Police Commissioner? How deep do you think the problems are when it comes to the Met? 
Um, I was sorry to see her go. I think it is really sad to see um, our first female commissioner go in these circumstances about concerns about uh, misogyny and, and, and race and all the rest of it. It's such a huge institution. It's 25% of the entire uh, UK police force. Um, I know that uh, Louise Casey is currently doing um, a review into the problems in the Met, and I have great faith in her being able to identify the exact state of the problem and coming with a, a, a plan to resolve it. Cressida Dick was criticised throughout her career for um, you know, serious errors, um, for example, on the Menezes case. Uh, also, when it came to more recent events around the policing of the vigils for the murdered uh, Sarah Everard, just because she was a woman, was she really the person to solve the problems in terms of misogyny and, and the treatment of women in London? Well, I mean, it's interesting, isn't it, that the Home Secretary um, and the London Mayor only um, only a short time ago extended her contract. um, And that suggests that there was no obvious alternative. Um, And, of course, now we're back there looking for who that alternative is. It is a huge job. It is a huge job. uh, But the fact that her contract was extended, uh, I mean, there's been so much criticism uh, around her, her her running of of the Met, uh, what do you think needs to be done to 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 get the the public's trust back in London? Um, I, I I think there's in in my constituency and many others, kind of mums and families are really worried about crime on young people, uh, about knife crime, uh, a, a kind of about drugs and sound lines, um, and I think it's a, a um, you know a way to actually reduce those numbers and make sure that our young people are much safer. On the issue of race, people have got to feel um, that whatever race they are, that the police are there for them to protect them. Mm. Yeah, uh, and not just feel it, surely actually for, for that to be a reality, um, you know, Absolutely. as but, an evidence but, base rather than just a feeling. Yeah, but what we know is what a big task that is because not only do you need to change, but then it takes a considerable people, period of time for people to actually have the confidence that it has. Do, do you have confidence in the Met Police that from an internal candidate that is really going to happen? You know, an internal candidate that would replace Cressida Dick? Um, I, I don't. I think most police officers want to do a good job, um, are not racist, uh, but there is ser- a serious problem. Um, and I think whoever is appointed, um, they've got to be given the opportunity to show that they can make a difference. And uh, talking of confidence, confidence in Downing Street. Now, Labour has called, perhaps unsurprisingly, for the Prime Minister to go. What's your feeling on whether he will go, though? Do you think he is uh, safe now? There seems to be a bit of a bit of quiet on the scandal front. Do you think Tory MPs will get rid of him or do you think he's going to stay now? Um, well, I don't think we ever know what's around the corner with the Prime Minister, do we? I mean, uh, we have the Met's investigation into um, the parties. Um, we have 300 photographs circulating within that inquiry. Anything could happen any time. Um, and, uh, and then the issue is, if he does get a fixed penalty notice, um, does he go then? Now, most Prime Ministers would never survive that. Um, and I note that Jeremy Wright, who used to be the Attorney General, uh, made a comment um, today that he should resign if he gets uh, a fine um, for 
the parties. Um, I wonder, you know, in London and in most of the country, we've got local elections in May. I don't know whether the Conservative Party are waiting for the outcome of that, um, but this is going nowhere good. Hi, I'm Ron Krzyzewski, Chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial Advisors, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing entrepreneurial, advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you. Imagine having the resources of the largest wirehouses and the support of the boutique shops, but none of the bureaucracy to get in the way of you serving your clients. At Stiefel, it's your business, your book, your clients. I always tell the advisors we're recruiting, I want you to come to Stiefel and double or triple your business. Most of them laugh and shake their heads, but I'm serious. Don't take it from me. Take it from Stiefel's number one finish in J.D. Power's 2023 U.S. Financial Advisor Satisfaction Study. So there's a reason why 148 financial advisors joined Stiefel last year. Come join us and find out why Stiefel is the firm where success meets success. Visit www.choosestifel.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Now, let's have a look at what else is making news in the world of politics. Well, we're joined this morning by Bloomberg's Leanne Gerrans. Leanne, we've been talking about the cost of living rising. We've got the inflation data out this morning. We mentioned it earlier. Give us some more details, though, about how tough that squeeze is. Caroline, I know lots of us have been getting our spreadsheets out at home and making sure all our bills mount up. But... Today, higher clothing and footwear prices have pushed living costs up yet again, with inflation hitting a near 30-year high. And that was last month. Official figures out this morning show it was at 5.5% in January. This is highlighting the cost of living crisis that is set to worsen dramatically this year, Caroline and Ewan. Both economists and the Bank of England, however, did expect inflation to remain unchanged at 5.4%. The rise in inflation is also raising the stakes for the BOE with investors not ruling out a 50 basis point interest rate increase next month. But the cost of living squeeze is set to feel very real very, very soon. The BOE is predicting inflation will peak at around 7.25%. That's in April. Now, this is when, as we know, the country will see a surge in energy bills, which is due to take effect at the same time that taxes go up. We'll be paying more national insurance. And by contrast, wages are increasing at less than 4%. So inflation is now outpacing wage growth. 7.25%, that would be quite something. Now, it's the uh, story which is on the front pages of all the newspapers. Prince Andrew has settled that civil case with Virginia Dufresne. Yeah, this was really leading the agenda here in the UK this morning. And now this afternoon or today, there are calls for clarity over Prince Andrew's role in public life and how he'll fund that sum of money is agreed to pay to settle the sexual assault case against him, which is happening in the US. Virginia Dufre had been suing the Duke of York over claims she was sexually assaulted by him when she was 17 years old. These allegations he has strenuously denied from the beginning. She 
claims she was introduced to the Duke by the former financier Jeffrey Epstein. Now, according to the Telegraph, the Queen will help pay for Prince Andrew's £12 million settlement. But I must stress this amount is unknown. And despite all the speculation in the papers, it is undisclosed. So we actually don't know the amount. But interesting enough... um, A statement was released yesterday. I just want to give you some of what Andrew said. He said he accepts that she, Virginia Dufre, has suffered both as an established victim of abuse and as a result of unfair public attacks. And it also said the Duke regretted his association with Epstein. Now, I don't know if you remember... Prince Andrew did give that explosive BBC Newsnight interview in 2019 where he said he did not regret being friends with Epstein. So there is a turnaround in language there that we have seen in the statement. And just to let you know about his role in the royal family, he won't get any of his royal patronages back and military links or the HRH title that was taken away from him. Yeah, this all in a year when the Queen uh, celebrating 70 years on the throne. Uh, this is really pretty seismic for, for the UK. Thanks so much for bringing us up to speed with Prince Andrew and also the cost of living issues in the UK. Leanne Gerrans. Well, let's get back to the politics and some analysis with our Bloomberg opinion columnist and friend, Therese Raphael. Now, you can read Therese's thoughts on the Bloomberg opinion website and on the Bloomberg terminal, of course, at OPIN Go. Now, Therese, thanks so much for joining us on Bloomberg Westminster. You've written a piece about the problems facing the Conservative Party and its many tribes. Yeah. So, you know, thinking about what happens to Boris Johnson, uh, I think you know we often assume that the that the the issue um, is kind of whether he stays or goes. Um, but if if you look at really what the Tories are, even without him, I think there are real questions about the direction of the party and some of the challenges on the horizon. For example, um, you know much is made about different Tory tribes, the mm-hmm. sort of One Nation conservatives who um, are more sort of traditional Thatcherite. There are uh, factions within the party that are very skeptical of the net zero direction. Or they, they, not that they're skeptical of climate change, but they think that the government's commitments to net zero impose too great a cost at a time when the cost of living is rising, as we've been discussing. Um, there are, you know, other uh, Tory groups that, that want uh, the government to rethink the tax rise that's coming in in April. And so you know, even if after this parliamentary recess, um, once the police report into the party gate allegations is published, there's a renewed move to get rid of Boris Johnson. There's a real question of, you know, what does the, what sort of policy direction does the Tory party settle on? And I think that's, that's um, you know, unclear and, and maybe one of the factors that would mitigate in favor of keeping Johnson because he has been the one yeah. politician that's been able to knit these different factions together. Yeah, and and I think that that argument is sort of true even up until now, you know, uh, getting rid of somebody who has won so many extra seats for the Conservatives who can, you know, um, pivot to Ukraine and the levelling up agenda. I mean, the, the white paper uh, was reasonably well received, actually. Um, look, I suppose a lot of it, though, depends on who the next leader might be. And as you say, a week is a long time in politics. The recess is happening now. How safe is a Boris Johnson? It would seem that the temperature has gone down on that debate, but one never knows. And a lot surely rests on who the mantle might go to next. 
Yeah, I mean, I think that has been um, that has been the question all along, and it it was always the case that uh, you know when Tory MPs got to the edge of that cliff and stare, stared over you know to what was below, you know, were they really ready to jump? I mean, they they would. Uh, be inclined, I guess, to get rid of Boris Johnson if they felt that there was no way that the electorate uh, view of him would change. And we know from the polls that you know trust is very low in the prime minister. The Tories are now trailing Labour. If they felt that um, he was not a good bet to win an election in two years' time, and as you say, a lot can change. You know, even in a much shorter period of time, then that you know that would. That would be a, a, a big incentive, but then it, it's Boris Johnson compared to which other potential Tory leader. And, you know, one um, view that, that is increasingly, you, you know, you hear increasingly is that, that Rishi Sunak, the sort of front, run, front runner to replace him, has tied himself quite closely to Boris Johnson with this tax increase. He mm. hasn't jumped at the early chance to uh, present a challenge. And of course, you know, anyone trying to take down an, uh, an incumbent leader faces I mean, they may face uh, questions of their own about loyalty. So, you know, whether that timing has now uh, passed, uh, I think remains to be seen. We'll have to see what the police report says. That would be you know, the next big crunch point, we think, if it comes before the, the May election. And then the May elections, but, you know, I, I increasingly get the sense that it would be possible for him to ride out both. Um, but, you know, one of the things I think we, we talk maybe um, uh, need to talk a little more about is, yeah. you know, what happens longer term for the, for the party? Because the Office for Budget Responsibility is forecasting that the economy grows in real terms by only 1.3 to 1.7 percent once the rebound is over after next year. Well, that's a huge problem for a party that's facing a massive NHS backlog, increased cost of living, higher inflation. Um, so, you know, quite quite beyond the question of what happens to Boris Johnson, how his party presents itself to the electorate, um, which is a leadership question, but it's also a question of policy vision. Mm. And, you, you know, you mentioned the leveling up paper and, and some of the other initiatives that the government has mentioned. You know, I'm not sure any of that is cut through to the extent that, that it would have had, you know, the party gate and, uh, you know, not taken so much oxygen, uh, you know, from policy debate. Yeah, that is a much broader question. You mentioned the NHS, actually. I, I realise you've been doing some thinking on the NHS and the, the big, the enormous challenge it faces uh, after two years focused on COVID. Yeah, well, wait lists we've heard are um, over 6 million. That's just for England. I think it's over 7 million if you add in the other nations. And the government presented a plan last week to try to tackle the backlog. Uh, some of what it, it, some of what they're proposing is is you know, much needed and I think will be well received, such as a purchase of new diagnostic equipment, better communications with people. But it's a huge ticking time bomb for the party, because if you imagine, you know, the, the, the Institute for Fiscal Studies has forecast that potentially wait lists could be, you know, above 13 million. Um, if you imagine a party going into the next election where everyone in the country knows somebody who's waiting for, for medical care, um, mm. you know, that's, that's just massive. Uh, I think it's going to take a lot more than what we've heard from the government so far to bring those lists down. Yeah. Uh, 
you know, more efficiencies in terms of, you know, um, uh, uh, better collaboration with the private sector um, and really restructuring how some of the NHS trusts work through that backlog. Uh, but there's also a lot of questions about the data, which I found trying to dig into it, um, including how many on those wait lists are duplicates, um, uh, or, you know, they, they, all, they need to be validated and haven't been. So we don't really even know the extent of the problem, and we don't know how many of the people that would have been on those wait lists but didn't come on them because of COVID are going to come back on them, how many have died, uh, sadly, how many uh, have sought treatment in the private sector. So I think when that data becomes clearer, the scale of the problem is also going to be um, one the government's going to have to, to face, you know, at a time when, when there are all sorts of other constraints on cost. Bloomberg Westminster. Listen weekdays at noon on DAB Digital Radio in London. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.